We'll find the Millennial Kingdom in Revelation chapter 20. I want to read the whole chapter, just go down through it, get a sense for where we're going. Uh, we might look at some high points of this chapter tonight, um, but kind of want to set some things up and then we'll dive in and see what exactly this kingdom is all about, why it's so important, and why it is a living hope for those who believe in Christ. So, Revelation chapter 20, we'll start in verse 1, we'll read all the way through verse 15, Revelation chapter 20. Verse 1 says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image nor had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired... Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's a pretty powerful chapter, pretty important chapter. Uh, we've just come off a study of chapter 19 and seeing the return of Christ and His gaining victory over the world and, and uh, gathering together His people to Himself. And as he gets the victory over the rebels, over the God-haters, over those who have gathered themselves to try to, to try to stamp out God, as Christ gets that victory, he begins from that point to set up his kingdom. And things begin to change quite literally. Now what will happen next, which chapter 20 of Revelation describes, is what is called the Millennial Kingdom. We read that word, Millennial is just a Latin word for 1,000. We read that phrase like three or four times just in the first few verses. A thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. And what is going to happen is there is going to be a literal 1,000 years where Christ will rule on this earth as king. No other government, 
no other leaders, just him, for a thousand years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world without corrupt governments? Every law that is made is perfect. Every decision that is made is perfect. And the rule comes from one individual. There's no coalitions. There is no parliaments. There is no senates. There is no house of representatives. There is one individual who rules the world rightly and perfectly. And that one ruler's judgments are always right. They're never, ever wrong. He never, ever makes a wrong decision. Ever. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Can you imagine where every president and governor or chief or the ones who enact and enforce the rule of the one person, they are equally as perfect and righteous. So there's no undermining, there's no power plays. The whole government of the earth is perfect. Can you imagine a world free of satanic influence? No satanic influence in government. No false religion. No rebellion in society against biblical principles. Marriage will be marriage. Human sexuality will be human sexuality as created and designed by God. Can you imagine a world where peace reigns? There is no war. Society flourishes. Humanity flourishes. There's no war. There's no skirmishes. There's no weapons because we don't need weapons because there is no war. Can you imagine a world where there is no hunger? Because food is in super abundance. The crops just yield. There's no dust storms. There's no heat waves. There's no floods. The earth produces in super abundance. And by the way, so does humanity. In fact, can you imagine a a world where the whole earth has been restored to an Eden-like state? Where deserts bloom like a rose? And the whole animal kingdom has changed. Lions and bears and wolves lie down together with lambs and goats. And a little child leads them all like a bunch of puppy dogs. Without fear. People live long. Can you imagine a world where people live long? In fact, that if you die at 100 years old, you are just a baby? Can you imagine a world of peace and prosperity? You know what that sounds like to me? A word I've kind of heard thrown around lately. Utopia. You ever heard that term? Like a perfect, peaceful society. Well, up till now, we can only imagine that. Because that's not the case, is it? People die young. Children die. People are hungry. Government is corrupt. Satanic influence is everywhere. 
And so we hear something like that and our human mind says, well, that's only just a figment of our imagination. Is it? I say to you tonight, no, it's not a figment of our imagination. That imagination, if you want to call it that, will turn to a reality and something far and beyond even what we can imagine because what we have described, those things I've asked you to think about, is only on the surface what is the millennial kingdom of Christ. It is that and much more. It's called many things in Scripture. You probably heard some of these phrases, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's called the regeneration. Jesus calls it the regeneration. In Acts, it's called the restitution, which if you stop and think about it, that's probably a perfect description of it. The word restitution means it's back the way it was always supposed to be. It was not supposed to be like this. You know that, right? When God created the world, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Someday He'll turn it back. And can I tell you, the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of God's plan for humanity. It is the end goal. Sometimes we think of heaven like heaven's the end goal. We need to drag it back just a little bit and think about that thousand year reign because that millennial kingdom is just as much a part of the fulfillment of God's plan as the eternal age is. It's part of it. It's part of the fulfillment of it. And so it becomes very important. It's a very important subject in the Bible. There are major themes that run through the Bible. You ever study the Bible like that? You should, because there are themes that run through the Bible, like big themes, like things that are mentioned in Genesis and fulfilled in Revelation, and you find them the whole way through. Can, can you think of any that might run the whole length of the Bible? How about redemption? That's right there at the beginning, isn't it? Humanity falls, what does God do? He provides a, a sacrifice that requires the shedding of blood to cover them, And there's a promise given in Genesis 3. The seed of woman is going to crush the head of Satan even though he bruises his heel. That's a a messianic Christ prophecy there in the Garden of Eden. Justice. Justice is a theme that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, right? God enacts justice on us as we fall on sinful nations ultimately fulfilled when Christ comes, right? Sure. There's big themes that run through the Scripture like that. Covenants, God keeping His promises is one of them. Like you can read and you'll see types here. You see it progress. You see the fulfilled. You, do, you would do well to study the Bible that way rather than just reading and blah, 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 says this and that. Think about it. What's going on here? Why is, why is this in Scripture? Why does God record this? Because there's something there. Why does God record all the failures like of, a, of, a man, of the man David? To show God's grace. That even though we can fall, what does the Bible say about David? He's a man after God's own heart. He's screwed up a lot. But still the Bible says that because of God's grace and God's mercy. So you do well to think along those lines. 
sometimes sometimes we have a tendency, even in church and in services, to camp on one thing, like Paul's writings. You've probably heard a lot of sermons on Ephesians or Philippians. Lord knows you've heard a lot, a lot of sermons on Romans lately, right? The past couple of years at least from me. There's nothing wrong with that, but you need to step, take, uh, step back and, and take a look at the bigger picture sometimes. And one of those themes that runs through Scripture and that is fulfilled here in what we're going to read, and, and, and it, it ties in with others, is this. Paradise. Paradise given. Paradise lost. Paradise regained. Make sense? We had paradise. Humanity was created in perfection. Everything was perfect. Every aspect is perfect. We had a perfect relationship with God in a perfect place. I don't even. I can't even imagine what Eden was like because the world we see now is 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 fallen and marred by sin. Right? Think of the most beautiful place you've been in nature. I can think of some, some that always come to mind is sitting on the. There's a certain place at Gold Lake. You walk down the shore and there's like this little indentation. If you sit there on a calm day, you can look through the weed, weeds, reeds, <laughs> weeds too probably. And the lake is, when the lake is perfectly calm, you can see the mountain mirrored in the lake. And that's when I like to go throw a fishing pole in and usually nod off. I don't care if I catch anything. I just want to sit there and enjoy that view. Bryce Canyon, some of you saw that uh, recently. I don't know if it's called the cathedral or whatever it was called, but that that one view that's on all the postcards to see that in person is pretty breathtaking. It's beautiful. We've got some of those places we've been that you kind of stop and say, wow, this could only be done by God. This is, this is amazing. Think of that is all marred by sin. That's way less than it was. All of that's been covered by a flood and messed up from its original glory. Can you imagine what Eden would have been like? I don't even think we can understand the beauty of the Garden of Eden and the world at, at, the world at creation. We had all that. It was perfect. In fact, God looks back and says, everything that I've done is very good. Right? Creation. And then it was lost. Why was it lost? Sin. Sin. We knew what happens. We know what sin has done. Sin wrecked it all. It wrecked our relationship with Christ or with God. And it wrecked the place He had given us. So paradise is lost. Do you think man has tried to recreate that? In society? In self? Over and over and over. And I'll tell you what, all of human effort has not been able to reproduce it. Utopia is unattainable to man. Sound like a fair statement? We cannot attain the perfect society by man's efforts. Babel didn't work. Egypt didn't work. Babylon didn't work. Rome didn't work. The United States didn't work. The United Nations won't work. The Great Reset's not going to work. We will not 
attain utopia because it is not going to happen by human means. All it does is simply take a look at history. Rome had glory days, and then what happened? It fell. Babylon was the shining head of the, the um, vision in, in Daniel chapter 2, the pinnacle of human government. What happened? It fell. The United States has had her wonderful, God-blessed glory days. And hey, maybe there's a revival coming on the, on the horizon. I sure hope so, and we ought to pray so, that we get back to the roots of this nation. But we have certainly seen her rise and fall. Paradise is not going to be regained by human means, but the Bible is crystal clear that paradise will be regained. Any reading of Scripture is going to cause you to notice something. The Bible starts in a garden, and the Bible ends in a garden setting. And once lost, it goes downhill, and you have somewhat kind of societies of peace. Think Israel in the Old Testament. And the church in the New Testament, you understand what we're doing right here and right now is the closest we'll get to utopia. The society of a local church, when all her members are righteous and yielded to God, that's the closest we're going to get to heaven on earth. So you have these little pockets of it, but widespread, no, it doesn't happen. But it happens in the end. And how so? The other major theme of Scripture. That's, that's where our, we need to get an understanding of this. There's the theme of paradise lost and paradise regained. And the great overarching theme of Scripture is the plan or the drama of redemption. Redemption. You see, the work on the cross stretches farther than just man. The work on the cross causes us to be reconciled and redeemed to the Father, right? That's how we are saved. That's how we are forgiven because Christ gave His blood to shed, uh, to, to, He shed His blood so that we can be forgiven of sin. And He, by His blood and by His resurrection, has conquered sin and death. That is the means by which our sin can be forgiven because He took it upon him, Himself and gave His perfect life as the sacrifice and death can be conquered. We have a resurrection because He rose again from the dead and is alive at the right hand of the Father. So that takes care of us as individuals. But the work on the cross is farther than that. It's more than just the restoration of the relationship. Because He has defeated sin and death, which, by the way, have wrecked the world, Sin has destroyed this world. Death has destroyed this world, right? Trees die now. Animals die now. The earth is dying because of sin. Well, if Christ defeated both of those, sin and death, in His death, burial, and resurrection, then He has the power to redeem His creation from their effects. So He can free the earth from sin, from the curse of sin. He can stop death, reverse death, because isn't that what's going to happen at the resurrection? Death for us, for us is going to be reversed and we're going to have glorified bodies. Cannot He do that for the earth? Yes, He can. 
And that is bought by the blood that has killed sin and death. And that is exactly what he's going to do with the millennial kingdom. He's going to restore the earth, free it from from the curse of sin, and rule as its king. Let's just take a couple let's let's just take a couple steps in and look at what that is. Now Revelation 20 is a bare skeleton, okay? It gives you like bare bones what's going to happen. The kingdom is a biblical subject. That's one of those other themes that runs through scripture. The kingdom, the kingdom of God, there's a kingdom talked about in the Old Testament. We don't got time. If I spent the next year and I'm not I'm not being facetious or trying to like overstate things if we spent the next year of wednesday night studying about kingdom verses in the old testament alone we'd fill it all up they're everywhere everywhere so you got to think every judgment that god talks about like babylon comes in and take takes uh, uh israel captive right that's one of the big events of scripture that's king nebuchadnezzar daniel three hebrew children all that that's all that's a big event All the prophecies about somebody coming in and taking out Babylon and bringing Israel back to the land, that talks about it actually happening, which it did. The Medes and Persians came in, took out Babylon. Cyrus, you don't need, well, yeah, Cyrus, the Mede, let them go back. So then you got Ezra, Nehemiah, all that whole thing going on where they go back, they rebuild the city, they rebuild the wall. That's actually happened. But all of those prophecies point past that to when Christ comes, puts down Israel's enemies, and brings Israel back to Himself. So every prophecy we see is actually pointing past that to when that is ultimately fulfilled. So we could take the whole next year of Wednesday nights. We wouldn't have enough time to fully get it. But what we will do is we'll use Revelation 20 as kind of a skeleton And we'll kind of hang things on that as we go to fill out the picture. The Old Testament talks about it. You ever wonder why the disciples said in Acts chapter 1, or towards the Acts chapter 1, towards the end of the Gospels, will you now at this time restore the kingdom? You know what? They weren't talking about Israel in its heyday. They're talking about what's happening here. This is what they were looking for. Is the kingdom coming now? And what does he say? No, not yet. Not yet. So it, it runs through, throughout Scripture. Jesus speaks about it a lot. And we'll kind of go along and we'll fill those in the best we can. At the same time, I don't. We'll just, we'll just go as we go. So. One more thing to say, I believe this is still future. It's pretty simple. It's Revelation 20, not Revelation 2. There's some, Revelation chapter like 4 through 19, you have the tribulation and the return of Christ. You can find out about that. Then Revelation chapter 20, you have the setting up of his kingdom. Revelation 20 and 21 and 22, you have like the eternal age. It fits in right there. Seems pretty simple to me because we take a very little reading of Scripture, right? Well, I have to say this because there's some people that say that's not the case. 
There's some people that you might have heard these words before. You, I just need to mention them because it's important. You might have heard premillennialism, postmillennialism, or amillennialism. Let me just define those real quick. Amillennialists, uh, whoa, amillennialists believe there's not going to be one. Like, that's all spiritual. This is all spiritual talk. And Jesus is ruling right now through the church. So there's not going to be this literal thousand-year period where everything's restored. No, this is all spiritual. First of all, that stinks if that's the case. <laughs> this is as good as it's going to get? No. That that's, has no appeal to me. I was born in the wrong era then. Maybe 50, 60 years earlier. This is this has no appeal. And secondly, uh, if that's the case, Satan's supposed to be bound. Is Satan bound right now? No, he's running rampant. So you got some issues there. So first, we're not even going to spend time diving into that. But there's some people who believe there's not going to be a millennial. There's the post-millennial view, which means Christ is actually going to come back to this earth after we, the church, have set up the kingdom. So we got to go out there. We got to get in public office. We got to take the house, the Senate, the presidency. We got to take the schools. We got to take all of it so that we can hand it all over to him. This was pretty popular back a couple decades ago with people like Pat Robertson and um, some of these TV preachers that you've seen. We, we got to get it. We got to make it better. That's a view that's still around, isn't it? Like we can change government. If we could change government and society, then everything's going to go good. That's just a reverse view of what the left is trying to do right now, actually. But just with a spiritual mindset. So we make it good and we hand it over to him. Let me tell you right now, let me fast forward into the end of the millennium. Christ is going to be king on the earth. He's going to be ruler there's still people going to be saved. And you know what? Most of the people, I, I, no, not mo most, many of the people born during this thousand years, because births are going to happen, people, believers are going to go into this, and they're going to be having kids, and they're going to be raising kids. Look at the uh, end of chapter 20, verse, verse uh, 8, verse 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them to gather to, together to the battle. And the number of them is what? As the sand of the sea. This is during the thousand-year reign where Christ is king. And humanity is still humanity. There will be people who can see Christ and not believe. And they will be gathered together once again by Satan's wiles to, to make war. Man is fickle, man is weak, man is malleable. And all it's going to take is Satan being released just for a little bit. So no, we're not going to make things better and give it over to Christ. He'll be here and we'll still go against him. So post-millennialism is a bunch of hogwash too. <laughs> all that to say. We believe in what is called a premillennial. If I was to state my end time theology, I believe the post-tribulational premillennial return of Jesus Christ comes back after the tribulation before he sets up his thousand-year reign. Okay? 
I believe this is still future. We're not in it. It hasn't come yet. I'm looking forward to it coming when Christ returns. Does that all make sense? You just have to know that because you'll, you might catch some of these things when you're listening to the radio or talking to somebody and somebody talks about, yeah, the church has got to make, we've got to right the wrongs in society. No, we don't. Jesus needs to come and right the wrongs in society. Until that happens, we're reaching out to members of society so they come to believe in Jesus. And maybe we can have an effect, but the church is not going to fix societal wrongs. There's the, what's the buzz term that I'm, um, oh, justice, social justice. You hear a, ta- a church talk about social justice, they're on the wrong track. It's the gospel that fixes hearts, Jesus who fixes everything, not us. We can affect, we don't fix it, Jesus does. Anyways, this is coming it will be commenced at the return of Christ. So let's just look at a couple high points and we're going to, I hope I can cover the high points in the next five, ten minutes. Then we'll end, have some time for questions and then we'll, we'll take deeper steps in next week. What's the first thing that happens when Christ comes? Chapter 20, verse 1. Saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan and bound him a thousand years. That's awesome. First thing that happens, now, rebellious humanity and uh, Antichrist and the false prophet, they've already been taken care of, right? Armageddon. That's in the verses above. Jesus comes back. He's going to set up his kingdom. First thing he does, he grabs hold of of Satan and he binds him. There's a lot to be said here, but can you imagine that? Satan's not in society. He's not pushing society. He's not drawing people away. There's no false religions that kind of look like Jesus and sound like Him, but preach a different gospel. There's no corruption in government because of Satan. Then the Bible tells us we battle against, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers in high places. Demonic influence in government, that's going to be bound. Satan's going to be bound in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and his influence will not be in the world. I don't know that we could even understand that. <laughs> Satan will be bound. Right now he's loose, right? What does Peter describe him as? Walks around like a what? A roaring lion prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. That's not going to be the case in the thousand-year reign of Christ. Satan's going to be bound. It's going to be taken care of. And like I said, we'll, we'll dive in just a little bit more as we go along, but let's hit the high point. Satan's going to be bound. There's going to be a government set up. Verse 4, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. Well, who's they? Well, if you go back into chapter 19... I believe it's the same ones that go with him on horses, the same ones that fight for him justly, the same ones that are given white garments, the same ones, as it says in verse 7, his wife hath made herself ready. I believe these are the same, the faithful saints of all ages. Of the Old Testament. And here, this is where you really, it, it does you well to read your whole Bible. 
Daniel chapter 7, I believe, the saints of the Most High will possess the kingdom and rule and reign. That's in the book of Daniel talks about that. That's they. Jesus says in the regeneration, you're going to come sit with me and rule the, tri- rule the 12 tribes of Israel on 12 thrones, talking to the apostles. And all they that follow me likewise, and those who have left families and jobs and lands and all that, will be restored to them tenfold. I, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing scripture. That's the they. The promises to the Old Testament saints, they're going to possess the kingdom of the Most High. To the apostles, you're going to sit down and judge the 12 tribes of Israel on 12 thrones. And not only you, but all those that follow me. That's the day. It's the faithful of all ages. Those who are called up and caught up together with Him, we're not spectators, we're participants in this. (laughs) Judgment was given to them. Listen, I, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't, I don't know how it's going to play out. But we're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, right? Didn't that say that at the end of verse 4? They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So he's king of the earth. Then he's got his rulers over the face of it. So does that like mean like one gets the United States? Or one California, if there's a California left. (laughs) Or one's Europe. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out, but pretty similar. Actually, things are going to be a little bit different. So we we already looked at uh, all the... uh, the bold judgments and the trumpet judgments, all that crazy stuff going on. There's stuff falling from the sky. There's... Waters turning to blood, and there's mountains that are no more, and islands falling into the sea. So the landscape of earth is going to be decimated. Kind of like what you do when you get ready to redo a house. What do you do? You go bust out walls. You bust up tile. You take all the old stuff out, right, before you put the new stuff in. And it seems to be that God's getting ready to remake it. And when Christ comes, He remakes it and the landscape is different. So I don't know if there's going to be the same nations, but whoever, however He does it, those who are faithful and called up to Him get to play a special part in ruling and reigning with Him for a thousand years. Verse 5, the rest of the dead live not. So there are going to be those who are alive that go into the millennial reign. Those who maybe came to believe during the tribulation or those who uh, weren't worthy to be caught up with Him, whatever it is, there's going to be believers that enter in, those who are not hostile towards God that enter into the thousand-year reign. And uh, are the inhabitants of the earth at this time, and they begin to reproduce and all that that we'll talk about. There's also going to be some people who died, maybe weren't faithful. Some who died maybe during the tribulation that weren't worthy. Are they called back to life? No, what does it say? The rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. 
on such a second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. There's a lot that's said in that verse. But just to say right now, there's going to be some people that have a very special position. Verse 7 and following talk about what happens at the end. There's a big hole left. Is that like John? No. Does he say at any time, yeah, the seven, trump, the seven trumpets happened, and then guess what? This happened. No, he describes with great detail all of it, doesn't he? That's why it's so crazy to us because we read, then the first trumpet happened, blah, blah, blah. Look, at there's these people that look like this, and this is going on, and trumpet six is this, and it kind of gets crazy because there's so much detail coming. Let me just say this now in preface for later lessons. If this is all there is in Revelation about the millennial reign, there's a big gap. Because basically he says, yeah, Jesus sets up, he reigns for a thousand years, and there's some people that reign with him. And then we go on to this, and this is, that's not what he does with any other subject. No, he really describes each subject. Just hold that in the back of your mind. Because either he leaves it out, or he goes on to describe it in great detail. So, regardless... There's a lot of holes to fill. There's, there's kind of a bare-bones skeleton. Jesus is coming. Satan's going to be bound. There's going to be people ruling. Christ will be ultimate. But there's a lot of things going on in the background that you need to bring in the Old Testament to understand because, man, it just begins to fill it out and to, to really add beauty to it. So we're going to try to do that as we go along in the coming weeks do the best I can with the time that we have and uh, um, I'm looking forward to it because it's going to really build into you that hope of what is coming. So I hope that's helpful. A good introduction and start to the Millennial Kingdom.